Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. Last week, my wife and I had the privilege of going to Porto, Portugal, to actually visit our missionary partners, Luke and Shana Camara. Uh, you might remember last Christmas, uh, we did a, a, a Christmas offering, and part of that Christmas offering went to Shana and Luke because they are going to Portugal to plant churches. Luke and Shana were church planters in the United States. They planted some churches in Alabama. God called them to Porto, Portugal. So we're kind of with them in the bottom floor of their missions journey here. So they're kind of wrapping up language school. They're pretty fluent in this. And so we got to go out there and kind of get to know them. Uh, One of the things that I love about, you know, missions is when you're out there, you can actually pray with insight on site. And so it was an opportunity for us to pray with them and get to know them and get to know their team. And this next slide here, uh, this is kind of the team that's there. This is Mike and Ruth. Mike is actually the field director in Portugal. Portugal is actually a new field for the Christian Missionary Alliance. That's our denomination, if you guys weren't aware. And so it's only been around for about 12 years. Mike was one of the guys that came and started it. This is Anna. Anna is a pastor that's actually serving out there. She's been a past pastor there for, for many, many years. And, and uh, Luke and Shane are kind of joining the team. And there's some other folks as well that are from the Brazilian Alliance Church. So Brazil has found out the team to help plant churches in Porto, Portugal. In Portugal, about 1.75% of the population would be considered Bible-believing followers of Jesus. So there's not a lot of folks that are there. We'll talk a little bit about over the next couple weeks. Jackie and I will kind of take some time, I think, next week to share a little bit about our trip and a little bit of the things that we've learned. In fact, if you go to this next slide here, this is the team that went from our district. And so these are folks from eastern Pennsylvania. So you might recognize Alan Rathbun. He was kind of our fearless leader. He kind of took us there. And we've got some folks from other churches. And this is obviously me and my beautiful wife, Jackie. And um, this guy's not looking, so it doesn't matter who he is. But we got the opportunity to kind of go and, again, with this group, kind of get to know the place. And we got to pray with Luke and Shane as they're praying about where they're going to plant their church, who they're going to plant their church with. And so there's still a lot of question marks. And like I'll, I'll be able to share with you the next few weeks you know, a little bit more information. And maybe some of you are wondering, you know, maybe this is the first time you're hearing about alliance and missions. Nathan, why do we do that? Like, isn't our mission statement to, uh, to join with Christ, to transform Williamsport with the gospel? What about overseas? Like, how does that fit in to what we do? And really, this is a mission that we actually get from Jesus himself. He says in Acts 1-8, before he goes to heaven, he says this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's from this verse that we kind of get our strategy for how we approach mission and how we approach serving the world. For instance, we start with Jerusalem. And for us, our Jerusalem is the Williamsport region. And and the reason why I say region is because I know some of you, you live in Williamsport. Some of you live in Loyal Sox. Some of you live in Montoursville. We believe that where God has called you, God has called you to be on mission in your neighborhood, to be a source of blessing to your neighbors and your friends and family. And so we believe the Williamsport region is where God has called us to have our primary impact. 
But then we want to expand that circle to our Judea and Samaria. And so we actually have partners that we partner with to help us extend our impact. Maybe some of you know our partners, Dwell Orphan Care, uh, Thrive is one of our partners, as well as Sojourner Truth Soup Kitchen. We, we, we have these partners that help us kind of expand our reach that maybe we can't do ourselves, but we can partner with others to have greater impact. And then finally, the ends of the earth. And this is where we've kind of been being really intentional over the past few years. Who do we want to partner with that's actually that we can join with through prayer, by sending them uh, finances, resources? But eventually, my heart is, we actually go as a church. We can actually send teams out to go and serve alongside, but also have teams come here that can come and bless us and bless Williamsport. And so that's why we've chosen to partner with missionaries like Luke and Shana, who are church planting in Porto, Portugal, as well as our very own Jordan and Kate Egley. Now, the Egleys, if you guys don't know, they have been here literally since the beginning. They're missionaries to France. They just moved back there a couple of weeks or months ago, uh, getting settled, and so I'm looking forward to having conversations with them of how we can support them as they are on mission. And so uh, that's kind of exciting for us is that we can kind of join with them in this because, uh, like I said, it's one thing to know about things kind of intellectually, but what is God doing? How is he at work? And when you're there on site, like, he's, like I said, when you're on site, you can pray with greater insight. In fact, on one of the days that we were there in Portugal, we got to take a tour of Porto Cathedral. This is a picture of this right here. Porto Cathedral, it was actually built on a hill. It literally oversees the rest of Portugal. And when we got to go to the cathedral, it's really beautiful. But each and every room is gorgeous. There's so much artwork that's there, so much history, beautiful paintings and gilded, uh, you know, statues and things like that. So really kind of learning about just the history of, of these kind of things. And, you know, you could actually climb to the top of the church. And you get, I got this beautiful picture of Porto, Portugal here. And this is kind of a, a big chunk of the city here. And it was just absolutely gorgeous just kind of seeing all this. But what kind of blew my mind was when the groundbreaking was for this cathedral. The groundbreaking for Porto Cathedral was 1110. They finished it in 1737. Think about this. 600 years to build this cathedral. Now, now think about it. There were people that were literally born, lived their lives, and died, and never saw the finishing or the completion of this cathedral. Isn't that incredible? Literally, they were passing on the building of this cathedral from generation to generation to generation, and, and they never got to see it. And, you know, when I was looking at that, it kind of reminded me of this reality, and that's this, is that Christianity is old. Christianity is old. You know, sometimes, you know, we can kind of come to the scene, you know, we come to our church, we grew up in our church, we think, oh yeah, Christianity, it's, it's kind of been what it is today. It's, you know, we've got screens, and we've got worship bands, and we've got all these other things, but Christianity is old. It's been here for a long, long time, at least 2,000 years from the beginning of Jesus. But how did we get here? Do you ever wonder, how did we get to City Lions Church here in 2023? Well, I'm going to get a little historical. Is that okay, church? Not hysterical. I'm going to get historical, okay? We're going to do a little church history here, but we're going to start from where we are today and go 
backwards. So City Alliance Church was started back in 2012. In fact, uh, last year we celebrated our 10-year anniversary, and so we are 11 years old. I think last weekend we turned 11. And so, but we're actually part of a family of churches or a movement that we call the Christian Missionary Alliance that was started in 1820. There was a man, his name was A.B. Simpson, he was a pastor, and he with other like-minded pastors and ministers wanted to reach people that no one else was reaching. So he would actually reach immigrants and he would reach refugees and eventually they sent out missionaries to go to parts of the world that there were no missionaries that no one had yet preached the gospel. But the CMA is actually part of a bigger branch known as Protestantism. How many of you guys have heard of Protestantism, the Protestant Reformation? Okay, a couple of you have. Maybe you heard about it in your history books. But this was started in 1517 when a Catholic monk named Martin Luther pulled out his Bible and looked and saw that the church, the Catholic church at the time, was not doing what was in the Bible. In fact, it added some things on. In fact, it had gotten corrupt. It had gotten all, it had kind of made this big mess. And so he started the Reformation saying, hey, we need to leave. We need to protest And so they left the Catholic Church. And that's kind of how we got all these different denominations of kind of where we're at today. But did you know that there was an earlier split even before that? In 1054, there was something that was known as the Great Schism. This was actually the first time where the church actually kind of split into these two kind of directions. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm going to kind of give you the Reader's Digest or the uh, Spark Notes version, and it's this, is at the time, the church was kind of overseen by five bishops. Bishops are kind of like area directors. There was one for Constantinople, one for Jerusalem, one for Antioch, one for Rome, and one for something else that I forget right now. But anyway, these five kind of guy bishops were kind of overseeing, and they were kind of doing it equally. And then one day, the bishop from Rome was like, you know what, guys, I have a great idea. I think Rome is probably the most important, so why don't all of you work for me, and I'll make myself the pope? How does that sound? Sounded so great that they split, okay? And so we see the split between the Catholic Church and what's known as the Eastern Orthodox Church. Maybe you've seen Orthodox churches or things like that, but there were, that was that kind of the first kind of big kind of split in 1054. But here's what's interesting, right? Like, you know, you know, there's all these issues, you know, we're always splitting, kind of breaking apart and things like that. But if you look at all the different branches of Christendom, if you look at all the different uh, branches that are out there, even all the like, little kind of mini splits, they all say have one thing in common, and that's this. All of us, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, or CMA, we affirm the Apostles' Creed. We affirm the words of the Creed. We all agree that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Christians believe the Creed. And oftentimes you might have heard me say this, or if you ever come to our partnership class, we have a partnership class next, next week, uh, and I'll say this there, we believe this, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. What does that mean? There are certain things as followers of Jesus that I would say that we're closed-fisted on. That, hey, this is what it means to be a Christian. Like, we are not going to budge on this. We are not going to bend our knee. We're not going to compromise. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are some things that we're open-handed about. Like, hey, we can debate. We can agree to disagree. Maybe we don't see things eye to eye on this, but we can still be part of, uh, you know, God's people. But in all things, whether they're areas of non-essentials or essentials, we've decided that we are going to be charitable. We're going to be loving. We're going to listen. We're going to be curious. We're not going to like, you know, you know, cut people off, but we want to listen and learn from those around us. 
That's kind of what what we mean by that. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is look at what are the essentials. What are the things that make us Christians? Like I wanted to, I was thinking about calling this series, What Christians Believe. Because that's kind of what the Apostles' Creed affirms. It's, this is what Christians actually believe. Because I think there can be a danger sometimes. As followers of Christ, in whatever tradition you grow up in, where we can say, I believe this, but we live very differently. And there's actually a gap between what we believe and how we behave. And we see this often. And, and maybe you've noticed this in your own life. But this can actually happen for large traditions of faith as well. I remember, you know, being in Porto, Portugal, and, and, you know, learning, one of the things I learned was that in, in, in Portugal, which considers itself a Catholic country, one of the things that they, they say is that in Portugal, it has the highest rate of divorce out of all of Europe. And, and not only that, if you talk to someone who's Portuguese and you say, oh, are you Catholic? They're like, well, yeah, because to be Portuguese is to be Catholic. It's a national identity. You have people who are atheists or agnostics, but they'll still consider themselves Catholic because it's part of their national identity. And in fact, if you do have people that go to church, what you find is rather than worshiping Jesus, oftentimes you'll find them have these like little altars here that are made towards Mary or Fatima. Fatima worship is actually really big in Portugal. Now, I want to say something real quick uh, as a disclaimer here. Number one is I know many Catholics who love Jesus and who I would consider authentic followers of Christ because they love Jesus, they they believe in the authority of Scripture, things like that. And I also understand that it's easy for me to go into another culture and see what all the idols are, right? What all the kind of the false gods are versus in my own culture. Even in my own church culture, right? My own traditions, it can easily be blinded to those things. I want to be very aware of that, and that's what my hope is for this series, is that maybe it opens up our eyes to areas where have we added things to our faith? Have we dropped some things in our faith? Do, do we need to maybe actually be a little bit more serious about certain things? Do we need to address the belief gap or the behavior gap? You know, when, when I first became a Christian, uh, I, I gave my life to Christ in the, in the, in the mid-90s, right? That's when DC Talk was around. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I know them. But, but I remember going to youth group and going to Bible study, and the emphasis was on right belief. Like, I was going from Bible study to Bible study. I was learning Bible doctrine. I was learning apologetics. I was learning how to articulate what I believed and how to say the right things so that you would believe what I believed. And that was a big emphasis of kind of my youth group days in in the mid-90s to the the end of the 90s. But then in the 2000s, when I started going to college, there was kind of this, this thing that we were noticing is that you had all of these young people, all these Christians who knew all the right beliefs, but they were jerks. Have you met any of those people? Some of you are like, that was me. (laughs) You know, and we know this, right? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so what we found was we had all these Christians who had all this great knowledge, but they were jerks, and there was a gap. There was a knowledge gap, gap between knowledge and behavior. And so to kind of offer course correction, I remember being at youth conferences as a youth pastor, being, all right, we got to teach people how to live it out, not just talk about it. And so the emphasis became, you got to live right. You got you to live according to the Gospels. We got to take care of the poor, love people, get to know people, build relationships, all those kind of things. And those are all good and important things, and those are important corrections that we needed. But what often happened was we stopped talking about the Gospel. 
In fact, we'd say things like, you know what, you don't need to preach the gospel. Just live such a, in such a way that people ask you questions about why you live the way you live, and, and, and then you'll get a chance to maybe tell people about Jesus. But you see, like any kind of overcorrection, right, that's what it was. It was an overcorrection. We need to kind of come back to the radical middle. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, get this tattooed on you somewhere. It's this, is you cannot separate gospel proclamation from gospel demonstration. It's both. That's the model we see in the New Testament. We see Jesus declaring that the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe. But what is he also doing? He's healing the sick. He's caring for the poor. He's offering compassion for people. It is a both and. God is calling his people to be people of compassion, of demonstrating the gospel, demonstrating the goodness of the kingdom of God coming, and proclaiming it sharing our faith, telling people why we believe what we believe. And, and this is my prayer, this is my hope as your pastor in this series, is that maybe if you've been afraid to speak up in the past, if you've been afraid to share your faith, that you would have confidence in who God is and what he's done for you, and you'd want to share that with people, not out of superiority, not out of arrogance, but out of, look what God has done in my life, I want him to do the same in yours. But for those of us that maybe we have all the right beliefs, we have everything nailed down, but our behavior is lacking, or we're not as loving or as compassionate as we need to be, maybe that would be the area that God grows you in, grows you in compassion, grows you in the ability to love others. That's my heart. That, that, that we would take this stuff and it would go from our heads to our hearts to our hands. It would be full body, the full gospel for the full world. And that's why for a series like this, we really encourage you, like Sunday morning isn't enough. Because I know no matter how good of a sermon I preach, you will forget about it by the time you get more coffee. Amen? So we were like, no, 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 no. Come on, I know you. You see, we need one another. We need community. That's why I want to encourage you during this series is to pick up one of our group guides. I know, if you got a group guide, why don't you go ahead and hold it up here. I just want to see how many of you all picked it up. Okay, we got quite a few of you that got group guides. That's awesome. If you want, you can fan them so we can feel the cool breeze coming through. Just kidding. It's cold enough, right? But here, here's why we want, I want to encourage you to pick up a group guide. Because in a group guide, what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to come here on a Sunday morning. You'll be able to take notes. If you have questions about me, and I don't know what, you know, Pastor Nathan said this. I don't know what he means by that. Then you can take it into your city groups during the week and talk about it. In fact, that's the second thing I'd like you guys to consider is joining a city group. Because in a city group is where you can actually take what you're learning and actually say, how do I make this belief a behavior? How do I take this thing that I'm learning and actually live it out this week? And even ask it for some accountability. Like, share with your group, hey guys, I want to do this differently. Would you ask me about this next week? Would you pray for me this week? In fact, one of the things that we're going to encourage you to do in this series is to serve with your city group. In fact, we have a whole side here on mission. It gives you some options of where you can serve, and you can also go to our website and find some areas to serve there with some of our, mission, our, our, our ministry partners. But I want to encourage you, during this season, during this series, it's only six weeks, join a city group. You can join for six weeks, and if you're like, this was great, you can go either and join another group, or you can kind of take a break. But use this time to experience transformation. Transformation doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. It happens throughout the week as God is continually changing us and we are kind of submitting our lives to him because we need one another in order to grow. And so that's what we're going to look at during this series as we talk about the Apostles' Creed. So why don't we go ahead and jump in here. Now, 
I, I kind of look at in a room like us, or if you're watching online, I know some of you are like, man, I am so excited about this series. Some of you are like, man, I love liturgy. I love kind of getting into like church history. Like I can't wait to jump in and dive in and kind of rip into this. This is going to be great. But also there's some of you that are like a little nervous. You're like, nothing like, I grew up Catholic. I came to Christ and we're talking about the Apostles' Creed and, and there's some weird stuff in there about the Holy Catholic Church. Like, what does that all mean? Like, is it okay to, to do this? And so I kind of want to set, set the record straight, kind of level set everything. I want you to know this is that we are not preaching from the Apostles' Creed. We are preaching from the Bible. Amen? Okay. Here's the way to think about it. Think about Scripture, the Bible, like the sun. The sun provides heat and light. God's Word provides heat, conviction, and light, illumination. Now the moon, what does the moon do? It reflects the heat and light of the sun. That's it. The Apostles' Creed reflects the heat and light of Scripture. And it's going to help us actually dive into some of those essential Christian doctrines or Christian teachings that, that we need to kind of hold on to as we are kind of going through life. But, but I want to ask us a question here. Now, maybe you've thought about this. Nathan, do we really need the creed if we have the Bible? Like, do we need the Apostles' Creed if we already have a Bible? And this is where we're going to get a little historical again. Because the Apostles' Creed actually came out of a situation that was happening in the church in the second century. In the second century, Christianity was growing. It was actually getting to the point where some of the leaders in the Roman Empire were wondering, do we need to legalize this because it's blowing up and some of our politicians and some of our leaders are becoming Christians? Like, do, do we need to maybe make it legal? But while Christianity is growing and it's going viral, all of these knockoff versions of Christianity are also starting to be developed. In fact, one of the most dangerous was actually developed by a false teacher named Marcion. There's a picture of Marcion here. It's a photo, you know, from back in the day. But Marcion, he had some pretty whacked out ideas. Some of the things that he would say is that the body was completely evil and only the spirit is good. So Jesus never came in a bodily form. Jesus n never had to resurrect because he was a spirit. So Marcion would teach this thing. It was actually called Gnosticism that was kind of spreading all throughout Christian churches and throughout the Christian empire. He would say things like this. You know, I don't think the God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. The Old Testament God, he seems really angry, so why don't we just get rid of the Old Testament? Why don't we just stop reading it, stop teaching it, and completely just throw it out? And so he was saying these things, spreading these things, so the early church had to respond and that's why they actually developed the Apostles' Creed. Now, I was kind of thinking, how, how do I best describe this, like using kind of like a modern day example, so you kind of understand kind of like what was going on in the second century. And I thought the best example is if I could share with you what was happening in the hip-hop world of the 90s and 2000s, okay? <laughs> how many of you guys remember, like rappers would have these feuds, these beefs, you guys remember some of those? How many of you remember the feud between Ja Rule and Eminem? Any of you guys remember that? Ja Rule and Eminem? Some of you are like, is that the guy from Fire Island? Yes, it is. Those of you, Ja Rule's been ruining things since the beginning. So let me explain the Ja Rule Eminem beef first, and I know it can be kind of tricky. So, so Ja Rule was having a beef with this guy named 50 Cent, who was friends with Eminem, 
And so eventually, one of the songs called Loose Change, which by the way, I'm not recommending that you listen to any of these songs. In fact, it's probably better if you don't, okay? So Ja Rule has this song called Loose Change, and he takes a shot, not at Eminem, but at his daughter. Now, you know, some of your parents are like, yo, if you mess with my daughter, like, that's, it's over, right? And so Eminem, being a very measured, tempered <laughs> entertainer, writes a song called Haley's Revenge, because his daughter's name is Haley, but he doesn't just stop at one song, okay? He has a second song. How many of y'all remember Hail, the Hail Mary remix? Okay, a couple of you do. Hail Mary, and it's not just the Eminem in that. It's, he's got Busta Rhymes in there. He's got 50 Cent, and they tear up Ja Rule, and Ja Rule kind of runs away off of them. It was kind of the end of the, the feud after that, because Eminem just kind of gave him everything. So I want you to think of Marcion as Ja Rule, okay? And he's stepping up to the church saying, y'all, you, ain't, you, you guys are, you got it all wrong. And he's, and he's trying to, you know, kind of get his false teaching out there. And so the church is like Eminem, Busta Rhymes, and 50 Cent, which is kind of odd now that I say that out loud. But there you go. Not, not, all, not all the examples work. But the church is simply saying, no, no, this is what we believe. This is the truth. This is truth and this is false, and that is why we have the Apostles' Creed. It's the church's clapback towards Marcion and other false teachers that are kind of spreading misinformation about who Jesus is and the nature of faith. And so in this series, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the different statements of the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to give you a little bit of history about why certain things are in there, and then we're going to go into Scripture to kind of see what scripture teaches. And so let's start with the first phrase, which is this. In fact, why don't we all say this together in one loud voice. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So this is the first phrase. And so when we say this out loud, here's what we mean as followers of Jesus. We are declaring that God is the creator. God is the creator. Uh, we don't declare that, you know, that the earth was always here or matter always existed. We are actually declaring that the universe had a point in the beginning where God created everything. And so again, this is a direct clap back to Marcion who pretty much said, you know, the God of the Old Testament, you know, he didn't create anything. Like, you know, matter is evil. You know, the physical world is evil. Here we're saying, no, no, no. God created the world. In fact, God created it, and he said it was good. In fact, this affirms the very first verses in Genesis where it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So in the very first moment of the creed, it's affirming what Scripture says, that God is the creator. And what God created, he created his good. But, but here's what's so radical about this part of the creed too. Not only is God the creator, God is our father. The way that God chose to reveal himself to humanity is as our father. Not as a overlord, not as a, uh, not on a power trip, but as our daddy. And, and this kind of, was kind of crazy in the ancient world. This God who created the heavens and the earth, this God who had created all of the complexity of the immune system, the God who had created all of the things around us, you know, from the tiny microbial world to, to all of the bigness, wants you to refer to him as daddy, as dad, as father. This was unheard of 
in the second century. And it still kind of blows us away. In fact, Jesus affirms this when he teaches his disciples to pray. He says this, and then how should you pray? Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's this incredible distinction where we have the transcendence that God is so much bigger than everything, but yet he wants you to refer to him as father, dad, daddy. And it's radical. And the tension I think that we sometimes feel with this is that if you grew up understanding that God is generous and loving and forgiving and desires to spend time with you, that actually influences how you live your life, doesn't it? If you know that that's the kind of God that created the world and, 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 and has that kind of relationship with you, you're probably going to have less anxiety. You're, you're probably going to have less fear. You're probably going to have more hope. But if you grew up believing in a God that was distant, in a God that was angry, in a God that was judgmental, in a God that was looking for you to mess up so he could smite you, well, you're probably going to have a lot more anxiety you're probably going to have a lot more fear. You're not going to look, you're not going to live with hope. You're not going to live with maybe even like a sense of positivity, but a sense of dread. And so many of us who've grown up in churches like that, we have that sense of dread, but that is not who God is. When the creed was first crafted in the second century, in Rome, the most powerful individual in Roman society was the Roman father. He was known as the pater familial. And even if you were born in a Roman household, that didn't necessarily mean that you would stay in that Roman household. The paterfamilial had the power to decide whether you stayed or whether you left. So if you were born in that household and and the father saw you and for whatever reason didn't want you, he had two options. He could sell you to slave traders who would raise you up and then sell you into slavery. Or if you were a girl would leave you out in the elements and you'd be exposed to die. And that's what often would happen. But here's what's interesting. You know who would oftentimes be the ones to rescue those babies? It was Christians. So Christians would rescue these babies, foster them, adopt them, and bring them into their communities. If you were a slave and you had no rights and you had no ability, many of these slaves were actually gave their lives to Jesus. And if you were a slave or if you were one of these children that you knew you were adopted and you were like, man, my earthly father rejected me. My earthly father wanted nothing to do with me. What they would learn was they had another father who embraced them. They had another father who was a father almighty, greater than their paternal familial And that was the father that they would pray to, the father that they would look to, the father that they would learn and get to know what they were like by looking at the life of Jesus. That's why Paul says this. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, which means Daddy, an intimate name for God. The Spirit himself. Go to the next slide testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his 
glory. Guys, here is the radical nature of this creed that points it back to Scripture, that you and I are children of the living God. Amen? That we are children that are accepted, that are loved, that there is nothing we could ever do to lose the love of God, and there is nothing we could ever do to earn it. He gives us his love, he bestows his love, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? We're his children. We don't lose that place. And that was so radical in the ancient world, but it's also radical today. Because maybe you grew up in a household where your first experience of dad was abuse. Maybe you had a dad that was physically abusive or emotionally abusive or sexually abusive. And so when you relate to God as father, it's kind of difficult because you've got that dark filter that's in the way. Can I just say that your heavenly father, he wants to clean off that filter. He wants to show you what it means to have a father, a daddy who loves you, who will sacrifice for you, who wants to give you generous love and mercy all the time. In fact, you can talk more about that in your city groups, because one of the questions that you're going to be looking at this week is this, is how can I relate to God as Father throughout my day? See, when he is Father Almighty, you know what that means? He's with you now. He's with you always. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will walk with you when things are good. He will walk with you when things are bad. He's a Father that loves you. He's a Father that will never leave you nor forsake you. But it comes down to this question, and this is kind of what the creeds affirm, which is this, do you believe? Do you believe? See, these creeds start with, I believe in, or uh, we believe in. Now, belief isn't the idea of, you know, intellectual assent, because I think if I grabbed like maybe 10 people in Williamsport, and I had them sit in front of this pew, and I said, hey, do you believe in God? I think maybe eight out of ten people would say, yeah, 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 I believe in God. But if I started asking them questions like, well, what do you mean by God? Or how do you describe God? I would get some very, very interesting answers. Well, you know, he's like a force, or it's the universe, or... But I wouldn't get the answer that the creeds affirm. Because that's not the kind of belief that the creeds or even scriptures talking about. It's not talking about like an intellectual ascent. That, yeah, I, I, I think Jesus lived at some point. Yeah, he might be God. But the kind of belief that scripture talks about is exhibited in Romans 10, 9, where it says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This idea of believe in your heart is this idea of actually putting your faith in, putting your trust in, putting your hope in, putting your life in, putting everything, every aspect of your life on this one aspect first. You see, I think any of us would say, oh yeah, there is a stool. I believe the stool is here. I can see it online in the camera. I can see it because I'm in the room. But that's not the kind of faith that we're talking about where you can kind of just agree that it's there. The kind of faith that the Bible talks about is do you have the faith to put your trust in it? We sit and put your weight on it, knowing that it'll be supported, that it's not going to break, or it's not going to fall apart. That's the kind of faith the creed invites us to, and that's what this passage means. Like, Do you believe? Have you put your faith, your trust, your life in Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the God of the universe, the God that created all the world and everything in it, and created you, and invites you to call him Father. See, when you believe and you've put your faith that God is your father and he knows 
that he loves you, he forgives you, he's always thinking the best about you, and he's transforming you and making you more like him so that you can be effective to, to influence and change the world around you. It changes. It's more than just intellectual, but it's actually transformational. I think what it all comes down to, though, is what do we put our faith in? Is our faith in Jesus or is it in other things? So maybe you're here today and you're kind of wrestling with, okay, where do, what do I really believe? Where do I land on some of these kind of these core beliefs of the Christian faith? And maybe you're not sure. Maybe some of you are like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I really believe this yet. Here's what I want to encourage you. It's okay. This is a safe place for you to wrestle with what you believe. It's a safe place for you to kind of ask questions. In fact, your city group is also a great place for you to bring your questions and to wrestle with your faith. And maybe you're here today and you're actually kind of wondering, is it time for me to take a step of faith? Is it time for me to start following Jesus and to begin that relationship where I put my trust in him to lead me, to guide me, to transform me from the inside out? And maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with that, and maybe it's been something you've been wrestling with for a long time, but I want to invite you to begin that journey if you haven't done that yet, to begin following Christ. And maybe you won't have all of the answers or you won't have all of it figured out, but what you, will, what you can do is trust that God's Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you as you are seeking him. Will you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and you're just beginning your relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're like, you had a relationship with Christ and you're not really sure where it is right now. But you want to say, Nathan, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make him the number one priority in my life. If that's where you're at today, I'd love to pray with you to begin following Christ. And so if you wouldn't mind just putting your hand up just so I can see, so I can pray for you to kind of begin that journey. If you're online, if you go ahead and put a comment on so we know to follow up with you. Let me pray. Spirit of God, I want to thank you. Because Lord, as we're wrestling, maybe even for the first time, talking about what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to walk humbly with you, our God? What does it mean to live out the whole gospel, gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration? We need your Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here right now or that are watching online, that are wrestling, that are asking questions. What does it mean to follow you? What does it mean to believe? God, I pray that you'd meet them. God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin that process of heartfelt transformation. Because, God, we know that you are at work in us. And you are drawing us to your heart, Jesus. Pray for those who are beginning the journey or maybe at the beginning of this journey, God, that you would continue to draw them to you, that you'd continue to help them grow in their faith. And, God, as we are about to go into a time of communion, I pray, Lord, that you would meet us here. Enable us to again connect with you and be transformed by you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.